Let's talk some hoops. The Notre Dame men's basketball team got their first true road win in just under two years earlier this week. And Tom Noy and I believe this is a big moment for Michael Shrewsbury and his program that's coming up next. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on and welcome into Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Friday, January 12th, so happy Friday and thank you for making this your first listen of the day. I'm Tyler Wojak and I'm the host. I graduated from Notre Dame in 2018 and now I'm a producer covering college football for Fox Sports. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. You can watch this show as well as every other episode on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcast. And no matter how you decided to tune in today, I'm grateful you're here. And I'd really appreciate it if you like the video below and subscribe to the channel if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening to the pod, you can help us out by rating the show five stars, maybe even leave a nice review, and of course, subscribe. In the spirit of transparency, I'm recording this portion of the podcast on Thursday morning around 8.30 a.m. Pacific time. As of now... There's not been any major information that's come out regarding who is going to replace Nick Saban at Alabama other than that it's not going to be Dan Lanning. He is going to stay at Oregon. I did an emergency podcast with Luke Smith on Wednesday night reacting to the news, plus we discussed how it could potentially impact Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame because Luke and I both believe that the domino effect from Saban's decision to retire has the potential to impact practically any major college football program around the country. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, you should check it out once you're done with this one. But if any major news breaks between the time of this recording and the time that you're listening, I can assure you I will talk about it when I'm back next week. As for today, we're going to talk some hoops with Notre Dame men's basketball beat writer Tom Noy from the South Bend Tribune. Originally, I plan on releasing this episode on Thursday, but then the Saban news took over the sports world and I had to change my plans. I really enjoyed this conversation with Tom. The Irish are coming off a big road win against Georgia Tech, and even though the record is still below 500, there are plenty of reasons to believe that Michael Shrewsbury has this program headed in the right direction. Let's bring in Tom. All right, Tom Noy from the South Bend Tribune is back with me here to talk some Notre Dame men's basketball. we got to start with the win on Tuesday night. The Irish went into Atlanta and knocked off Georgia Tech 75-68 to in overtime to improve to 7-9 and on the year and 2-3 and in ACC play. It is their first true road win in 23 months. And I know the Yellow Jackets are in a down year, but this felt like a big moment for this young Irish team, especially after the two tough losses to NC State and Duke. What did you make of it? It's a big moment because they went on the road and, and you talk to Micah Shrewsbury, you talk to the guys around the program. They want, you know, Micah Shrewsbury walked in the door in March and said, we want to win national championships at Notre Dame. Well, you're not going to be taken seriously as a basketball program, especially in the ACC, unless you start winning games away from home. And it had been so long, 696 days since they went to Clemson in mid-February in 2022 when they went 15-5 and five in the league six and four on the road and got a road win. So it was hard for them to get a road win at Marquette. They weren't winning there. They weren't winning at Miami. It's something where it's something that, that, that just hangs over the program where they've had their struggles at home, but to, to take that next step to build this thing the way that Micah Shrewsbury wants to build it, you've got to go out and you've got to win on the road, regardless of whether or not Georgia Tech's a bad basketball team and they are a bad basketball team. 
Notre Dame has had their struggles at McCamish Pavilion. So it was good to see them persevere and be resilient where there were four, five, six, eight times in that game where you're thinking, yeah, Notre Dame's done. They're cooked. It's going to look like North Carolina State. It's going to look like Duke. So for them to persevere and be as resilient as they were and get that road win in overtime, it's a huge step for this program right now. That's exactly what went through my mind when Georgia Tech hit that three to tie it at 66 right before the end of regulation. I thought Mark Spurton's shot was pretty good, but then the way that the Irish responded in overtime, outscoring them 9-2, I, I thought that was great. And you could tell that it meant a lot to the team. I love the videos of Micah Shrewsbury going back in the locker room. And you know what? Like, if there's some people out there who are like, oh, celebrating a regular season ACC win like that, you know, get over yourselves. Like, I, I could not disagree more. I thought it was great. And speaking of Shrewsbury, uh, his son, Braden, lit it up. They were able to overcome a pretty off shooting night from Marcus Burton. He finished four of 18 from the field to win the game. And he's basically been their entire offense throughout most of the season. So what do you think a performance like that for Braden Shrewsbury, who was able to light it up, especially after he struggled early? What does that do for his confidence the rest of the way? He's always been a confident kid. Like even before he played a basketball game, when he when, when you talk to him and got to watch him practice, he's like, every shot that I take, it's going in the basket. And he absolutely lives at Ross Hall. The, the practice facility, getting up shots, working on the, on the shooting gun and, and just practicing his craft. So it's like every shot he believes he's going to take, it's going to go in, but it hasn't happened for various reasons. And it's been a tough haul for Braden Shrewsbury because not only is a freshman, but he's starting, he's the coach's son and for right or wrong. And I think right, right now it's been a lot of wrong. The, 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 I don't want to say anger, but the frustration that the Notre Dame men's basketball fan base feels about not being able to show well, show better against Marquette or the loss to the Citadel or the loss in overtime to Georgetown. All the frustration that gets pent up is directed toward Braden Shrewsbury for whatever reason, probably because he's Micah Shrewsbury's son. And it's something where you know, you look at my DMs, you look at my mentions during games, and it's like, why is this kid on the team? He shouldn't be playing. He plays too much. He shoots too much. This was a game where all the talk so far in the first couple of months of the season has been about Marcus Burton, and rightfully so. It's been about the potential of another freshman, Kerry Booth, and rightfully so. Tuesday night, we were able to see why Braden Shrewsbury has such a prominent role on this basketball team, and it has only very little to do with the fact that he's Micah Shrewsbury's eldest child. Like, he can play. You don't just go hang 25 points in a in an ACC basketball game on the road because you're the coach's son. So you can play a little bit. It's good for him, and it's good to see that Notre Dame can do something offensively and somebody can ex- explode for 25 points who's not named Marcus Burton. And if anyone thinks that Braden is getting favoritism because he's <laughs> the coach's son, did not watch – the press conference after the game of the Citadel. We'll get to that in a second. Right. I, I do want to ask you about that, but really just looking at the big picture so far this season, we knew it would be a struggle, but what have been your biggest takeaways uh, so far? The fact that they're able to understand and take the hard lessons that have been, have they've learned so far, the Citadel, Georgetown, North Carolina state, Duke, Micah Shrewsbury has done an unbelievable job of keeping these guys confident. Like, look, we're not a very good basketball team the way we're currently constructed. We have our flaws. We don't have enough offense. We don't have enough shooting. We don't have enough low post guys. We don't have this, that, and the other. But 
if we can do this and this and this, and especially dig in defensively the way they have, they can they can be pretty good. I don't know what pretty good gets them this year, but the fact that they're able to buy into what Micah Shrewsbury continues to sell them as far as we're building this thing from the ground up, it's going to be a struggle. But if we work through our struggles, we can be a pretty decent basketball team. And we saw that last night because, like we talked about, North Carolina State, Duke, you had the feeling of, yeah, here we go again with this basketball team. But they showed us that they're able to learn the lessons that they've learned against State and Duke and say, we've got our we've got some roadblocks here, but we're getting over these hurdles and we're getting a road win in the league. Yeah, something that's been really interesting for me as I've watched the team and specifically the way that Shrewsbury has coached them has been the way that he's been able to balance sort of the expectations and the understanding that the team is really young, they're going to struggle, while also being a very competitive dude, having that Mm -hmm. fire, and just he hates losing, and he's made that very clear. But if you sort of get so frustrated after every loss because they're going to happen, given all that inexperience, you could basically just like tire yourself out and the message could get stale because you're just so frustrated all the time. You have no patience. It doesn't allow the younger guys to grow. So from what you've been able to see, how has he been able to strike that balance between being a real competitor, but also being patient with his team and allowing them to, uh, to develop as the year's gone on? As much as this season has been a learning experience for this basketball team, I think it's a learning experience for Micah Shrewsbury because, like he said, he wants to win so bad. Losing absolutely sucks with him. Like, it eats him up during games, after games, when he's in the press conferences. You can just tell that it's eating at him, that they didn't do this, this, and this right on a specific possession. But he's also got to remind himself that this is going to be a long – he's in it for the long haul. Like he keeps talking about, they want to be, they want to be play their best basketball in March, and they want to improve as January becomes February and February becomes March, and the ACC tournament rolls around. But I think he also knows that this is just something where it's it's not going to happen for him as quite quite as quickly as he wanted or he hoped. So he's got to keep remind himself, remind his staff, remind everybody around the program that they're in it for the long haul, whether that's. Two years back in the NCAA tournament, I still think it's going to be more like three. But once they get this thing rolling, years three, four, five, six, and however many that he's here, I think it's going to be a really fun brand of basketball. And you're going to look at it and say, all right, now that's why they wanted Marcus Shrewsbury as the number one guy. Yeah, that's part of the fun of watching this team right now, because even though they're struggling, it's kind of like the payoff's going to come. Like one day... This team is going to be really good again, and it's going to be fun to look back uh, on. Even though it's not fun in the moment, especially that loss to NC State, that was incredibly frustrating there at the end. But it's still like one of these days we're going to look back at this and laugh and know that uh, it was all worth it in the end. I'll be right back with Tom to talk about the biggest surprise of the season so far. But first, I wanted to tell you about FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. There's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, including live same-game parlays. You can also find bets in the new Explore tab or make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, which is actually the best way to find popular parlays and more. You know my pick this week. I'm riding with the Browns. Minus two and a half on the road against the Texans in the wild card game. Go Brownies. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. 
Something that really stuck out to me after that Duke game, John Shire had a lot of praise for Notre Dame, Michael Shrewsbury and the men's basketball team. And he's not the only one. I've heard other former coaches be really complimentary of Shrewsbury and the way that he coaches this team. Why do you think uh, Notre Dame is, is so impressive to other members of the basketball community, coaches, players, analysts, things like that? Like what sticks out to them, do you think? Because they see just how depleted this roster is <laughs> of of big time, legit Division One ACC type of basketball players that you need to really be competitive to where where Notre Dame was back in fifteen and sixteen, going to the lead eights uh, in 2021-22, like we talked about earlier, winning fifteen league games. All that stuff doesn't happen just because you've got a coach that maybe stresses defense or a, a, a roster that has a couple of NBA guys like you, you need a, you need a balance of everything. And I think all the basketball people that go through Purcell Pavilion or sit courtside and what, and, and broadcast another immense basketball game that have been around this league that have been around the sport, they look at it and they say, I think, I, I think if you, you pump John Shire full of truth serum, he'd look at it and say, how the hell is Notre Dame eight <laughs> points away from beating us? Like I talked, right. I talked to some NBA scouts before the game on Saturday at Purcell, and they're like, "This is going to be an absolute bloodbath. Duke is going to beat them by thirty. Duke is going to beat them by forty, and it's like a one possession game late in the second half. And it's it's just something where Micah Shrewsbury squeeze is squeezing everything that he can out of this roster. He knows they're not very good. He knows that uh, when it comes to roster management. Notre Dame is going to be at the bottom or at the bottom in this league, but that's no excuse not to bring effort and energy every single night. And for uh, there, there's really hasn't been a night except for the aforementioned game against the Citadel where you looked at it and said, those guys didn't play hard. Like they play hard. It's not, that's it, not necessarily going to mean they're going to win a game, but most of the time you walk out of a Notre Dame men's basketball game and say, I appreciate the effort and the want to and the fight but they're undermanned right now. Still, that doesn't that doesn't keep them from doing the one thing that Micah Shrewsbury promised back in October, and that's competing. Let's talk about that game against the Citadel and specifically <laughs> the press conference afterwards. Micah Shrewsbury was about as pissed off as any Notre Dame coach I think I've ever Never. seen in a press conference. Like we've all seen Brian Kelly yell on the sidelines, but his mood in the postgame presser was just, it was unprecedented to me. And by the way, he had every right to feel that way about the team's performance. I'm not, you know, knocking him at all for the way that he acted. I think the message was heard loud and clear in the locker room because since then the Irish have gone uh, three and two with the blowout win over Virginia and two close losses. I have two questions about that. First, what was your reaction just being in that room? Well, I think it was, I, I want to say it was Tay Davis and J.R. Knezny at the podium in, in Ham's auditorium after that game. And they're sitting at the podium and J.R. is literally in tears, still fighting through tears because Here's a guy that just plays so hard every single night, and you could see is when he let when the he when they pulled when when Micah pulled the starters late in that game it wasn't even late in that game but in the second half of that game he went to the bench and he buried his face in the towel and he was crying and he was still in tears you could tell he was still crying afterward in the post game so we're sitting there watching Tay and, and Jr up at the podium but off to my right in the auditorium Micah comes in he stands against the side wall. And he's got his arms folded like this, leaning against the wall. And you can just tell by the look on his face that there was an eruption coming. Like, it's like, all right, uh, JR, Tay, thanks for talking. Get your guys, get those guys off the stage. Bring Micah up because 
you knew that it was going to go the direction that it went because as it goes back to, he's going to have the, the, the hardest working, most competitive basketball team that he can possibly have every single night for 40 minutes. And if he doesn't get that, if he has that and they lose a game by the, at the buzzer or they run into a more talented team, Micah Shrewsbury is going to accept that. Not that he accepts losing, but he's going to accept the effort when he got the effort or he didn't get the effort that he wanted that night, he was just going to go off and you knew the lit, the, the fuse was already lit and he was going to, he was going to throw those guys under the bus, but in his defense and, and, and to, to back him up, he has said since then, nothing he tells us in the media is anything he doesn't tell his players. Like he didn't walk into that locker room after they lost to the Citadel by 20 points and scored only 45 and say, Hey, Great job, guys. I know it was a hard effort. I know it was a tough team to play. Let's just try and get him a couple. Let's try and get it back on track against Marist in a couple of days. He went in that locker room and he ripped every single guy and said, if you don't want to buy in and you don't feel like this train's moving in the right direction, I'll help you help you transfer tomorrow. I'll talk to admissions. I'll talk to the people I need to talk to and get your ass out of here. Like he told all those guys, he said, for anybody who's not on this train, and doesn't believe in what we're doing, get off right now because I don't want you here. So everything that he said in the media, people were like, boy, he was really hard on this. And he he ripped Braden that night saying, Braden's not our three-point shooter. Braden can't make a freaking three-point <laughs> shot. That's all stuff that he has told those guys. And he has said, you can't rip them. You can't be critical with them unless there's a relationship there, unless there's a deep understanding that, hey, Coach is going to be hard on me. Coach is going to love me, but I've got to take the good with the bad. And I think all the players to a man would say, you know what? Coach was absolutely right. We needed an ass kicking. We got it. And I think this program will be better for it moving forward. Yeah, it was the first time we saw that side of Shrewsbury because when he was hired and he was doing all the interviews and he was meeting everyone, he was such a nice and bubbly guy. But he said that you don't want to be around me after a loss. <laughs> and I always, I, you know, I clocked in the back of my mind and I was like, I wonder what it's going to be like when we actually see that side. And boy, did we see it. You've been doing this a long time. Can you recall another time you've been in a press conference when the coach was that animated about his own team? Yeah, and it wasn't really a press conference. I don't know if it was a, it was an actual press setting. But I still remember the game, the date, the, 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 all the circumstances. Uh, UCLA, I think it was in 2007, uh, Notre Dame had lost six in a row, seven in a row, seven in a row. They went out to UCLA. Mike Bray's like, you know what? Maybe the best thing for us to do right now is to get ourselves out of the Big East, go play a non-conference game. It's UCLA. It's Notre Dame. The history of the, the, the series speaks for itself. And they got absolutely boat raced in Pauley Pavilion. I think they lost by like 23. Mike Bray had juggled the lineup. He had started he had started juggling the lineup during the losing streak. Nothing worked. UCLA was the better team that day and I just remember him in Pauley saying uh, saying I don't care about all all starting spots are open. If I got to bench Luke Herringoti, I'm benching Luke Herringoti. This has got to stop right now. I'm tired of this and he just lit up his team. And I think the next the next game out, they were up on up by up on Louisville, and Louisville was a top ten team yeah. at the time. Louisville, they were up on Louisville by like thirty. Yeah, so I, I was at that game. I think. Yeah, so it's that's that's a reference point. When I saw Micah that night at, uh, at, at against the Citadel post game, my mind went back to Mike Bray just lit, lighting his team up and lighting in the guys left and right 
at Pauly in 2007. But ever since then, this looks like a completely different team. And I'm not saying you got to chew your team out every single time to, to get them back in the right track, but I think it worked. I think that the message was heard loud and clear. And what do you, what is the response from the team tell you about the makeup of this group to be able to take that, endure that publicly and then respond in the way that they have? That they understand, like they understand this is what we need to do to be better. And it was something where it's something where it was, it was a combination of the coaching staff and the players Micah, I think Micah and his staff are trying to throw so many things at at their guy at his guys during games. Like, we're going to go into a game with these six principles, and let's just try to do these six. But when Micah gets into games, hit the tendency of a coach is to okay, I've got these six principles, but let's do this, 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 and this, and and let's try. He had to understand that these guys, it's they're not there yet. The guys had to understand that they had to get collectively on the same page. Like they were, they looked like even before the Citadel, like the Citadel was the bottom of the bottom. But even before that, there were a lot of games this year, Tyler, where they just looked like five guys thrown together in a a, a noontime pickup game. Like they weren't connected. They weren't playing. They weren't playing as one, as a fist, as the as coaches like to say. And I think they had, they had to understand that, look, we've got to get on, get on the same page. And it doesn't matter if our shots aren't falling. I'm not playing. I'm not getting the rebounds. I'm not getting this. I'm not getting that. I'm not getting minutes. We've got to do this for each other. And when they started doing that after the Citadel, you've seen the results. They haven't won every game, but they've been way more competitive than they were that night. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With great deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you could stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all of the fun you're going to have. I recently used Game Time to go to a concert. I'm going to be honest, it wasn't even in my plans initially, but then I looked at the prices on Game Time and I was like, you know what? Those are so cheap. I am in, and it was a great time. All thanks to Game Time. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You get images of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Plus, you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, just two taps and you're set. And the tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code Locked On, L O C K E D O N for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. What's been the biggest surprise to you so far this season? I think just defensively, defensively, the way they've been able to continue that. Now we, we Micah talked about a, a lot about how this is was going to be an offensive team. It's not an offensive team, but for them to get the buy-in the way they have defensively, like Notre Dame in the past, they they would they would talk a good game defensively, but we all knew that it was all going to be about offense. Like they didn't care about defensively what happened on the defensive side of the floor because I'm gonna, we're going to go score. We're going to go 75. We're going to score 80 points. We're going to score 85 points. For this group to collectively buy-in and continually guard the way they've guarded, like they're second in the league in scoring defense behind Virginia. And they, I think since I looked it up today, I was doing some work for the Florida State game on Saturday. Since allowing Georgetown to score 70, whatever they had that game uh, in overtime when they scored 70 points against Georgetown or allowed Georgetown to go score 70 points, they've, they've allowed each opponent since that Georgetown game not to get to 70. And that's amazing for this team because they're not that gifted athletically, but cohesively, like as a unit defensively, 
for them to keep doing what they're doing, they're ranked 47th in the country in scoring defense. And I never thought I'd see that from a Notre Dame men's basketball team. I want to talk about Marcus Burton. Um, he's still very raw, but I'm so excited <laughs> about his future. He's averaging just under 16 points per game now, and he does turn the ball over a lot. I think he's averaging just under four turnovers a game, but he is such a dynamic playmaker. How good of a player do you think he can be at Notre Dame? It depends. It depends on what they're going to need from him next year. Like His role may change next year with Sir Muhammad coming in. Like Sir Muhammad is, is more of a facilitator than Marcus Burton is, Right now, you have Marcus Burton, a shooting guard, yeah. playing point guard at the collegiate level. But that's just because I, that's out of necessity. And whenever Mar Marcus Burton leaves the game, like last night, he had to get out because of foul trouble. You kind of just like, uh oh, they're gonna ho they're holding on right now because they don't have a guy that can make this offense go. He's the only guy in the team that's averaging double figures in points. And you look at his stats, and I, I think I, I I think I run through it once a week on my info boxes leading into games, what Marcus Burton's stats are as far as scoring, assists, steals, free throw percentage, minutes played. His minutes keep going up. I think he's at 33 right now. But for him to step in and do all the stuff that he's that that he's been asked to do, that just shows you the talent level and, and, and the talent reservoir that he has because he's had to do so much to the point where when it gets to February, I don't know how much he's going to have left in the tank. There was a great moment during the Georgia Tech game. Well, it was not great for the team, but it was uh, just a funny moment watching it because you could see Micah Shrewsbury pretty much constantly on the broadcast, and he's constantly mm -hmm. running around. And, and it was coming down to the wire. Marcus Burton had just made a nice play, and then on the ensuing possession, he just drove right into traffic. Ball goes out of bounds, and you could see Shrewsbury just kind of like – just kind of like shrug, but then he's like, get back, get back, get back, because yeah, Georgia back, Tech goes back. running the other way. And like, he can't even really get mad at Burton because he's got to be the one to do it. But he's like, come on, man. But it's still just, it's fun to watch him. And I think he sort of like embodies everything about this team right now because they're young, they're, they clearly got some holes in their game, but you're just excited about the future. But outside of Burton, what other players have impressed you the most this season? I think J.R. Kinesny with what he was able to do, like he he still he still kind of disappears every once in a while against Duke. He did North Carolina State, but then he, you look up and he's got eleven and ten for four, he's got four double doubles already this year. And we talked about Jr. earlier in the podcast where he just he just hustles every night. Like he's not hanging around the three point line. Like when we watched him play in high school, he was strictly a three point shooter and he scored all he scored like thirty a game because he's shooting over guys who are five ten five eleven. And for him to do what he's been able to do this year, that's a positive step. And I've been I've been impressed, not from an offensive standpoint, because I think offensively he's as raw as Marcus Burton is as a point guard. But just from a defensive settling standpoint, Keba Jai has really came come through the last three games where he never grabbed, he never, he never grabbed more than 10, more than nine rebounds when he was at Penn State last year. His last three games, he's at 11, 10, and nine rebounds. So defensively, he's kind of settling in. His offensive game needs work. So you get you get these flashes of not, Burton's been the only guy that does it every single game. Last night, you get Braden Shrewsbury. You've got Jai playing well. You've got J.R. Knezny playing well. Tay Davis, as long as he stops shooting three-pointers, three, three pointers, <laughs> like don't ever shoot another three-pointer the rest of the year. He's best at driving the ball the way he was able to do last night and finish around the rim. So you have these snapshots of guys. Kerry Booth has shown some stuff. Now he's he's hit a little bit of a rough patch, but I expect that as a freshman. 
you have all these you have these different snapshots of guys where they don't have much right now, but if they can collectively put this all together and sustain it over an entire season, it could be a, it could be a very fun group to watch moving forward. Tay Davis is three of twenty six. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> I, I've got I've got one of one of my fellow media members that covers Notre Dame men's basketball. Every time if if we're not at Purcell Pavilion watching a game, like we're I was sitting at my house, he's sitting at his house last night. Every time Tay Davis shoots a three pointer, uh, without fail, I get a, a text message that says Tay Davis three of twenty five from three. <laughs> Tay Davis three of twenty six from three. It's like stop shooting three pointers. Yeah, I guess it's easy to keep track of. Um, one other player who I wanted to talk about briefly, you mentioned him earlier, Kerry Booth. He was a, a top 60 player coming out of high school, and he seems to have a lot of raw ability, and the future is bright. Notre Dame hasn't really had many guys like him just in terms of his size and his length and his ability. What do you think he needs to improve upon most to start scratching the surface of that potential? Just understanding the game. Like he, He's still so young, and you can tell, you can tell as he's running out, running down the court or making a cut or doing this, the wheels are spinning in his head because it's all so new to him. It's not very instinctive to where he can just go out and just play and not think the game. When he doesn't think the game, he's very good. Like last night, it looked like he was trying to hunt a shot a little bit and force some stuff, force himself into places and actions where he's not very good right now. But you can just see the more he plays basketball, the more he just understands what he can do at this level. And when the light bulb goes on for him and stays on, you're going to see how why he was such a high-level recruit. You had a chance to catch up with Mike Bray last week, and I'd encourage uh, everyone listening to check out Tom's article about that conversation. It seems like he's really happy in his new role as an assistant coach for the Hawks, and he was also pretty candid about the struggles uh, last season, both on the court and off the court, as he was sort of grappling with the end of the run there. Um, how did he come off to you? Like, what was that like? He was unbelievable. Like, it's just he, the Mike Bray that I saw in March was beaten down worn down, maybe a little uncertain of what his next uh, career career move was going to be after he left Notre Dame after 23 seasons. He was, honestly, I think he was scared because that's the first time in his basketball life that he didn't have a job to go to. He was an assistant coach at DeMatha Catholic. He went right from DeMatha to Duke. He went from Duke to Delaware, Delaware to Notre Dame. And his, his, path, his basketball path had always been laid out for him. When he left Notre Dame, he's like, what am I going to do? Should I take the South Florida job? Should I go into TV? Should I take a year off? Somebody, uh, his his friends with the Atlanta Hawks, Danny Ferry, who he coached and recruited at Duke, Quinn Snyder, who he coached and coached with at Duke, convinced him, come to Atlanta, be an assistant coach, learn about the NBA. And the Mike Bray that I saw in Chicago when I went up there the day after Christmas and spent a couple hours with you could tell he's rejuvenated from a basketball coaching standpoint because he doesn't have to do anything. Like I spent two <laughs> hours, I, and that's a good thing. I spent two hours with him in Chicago, and he took his cell phone, put his cell phone on the table when we were having lunch, and wherever, without fail, anywhere I would meet him when he was the coach at Notre Dame, that phone did not sit without ringing or going off with a text message or a DM or a phone call maybe every 40 seconds like that thing never stopped ringing in the two hours I spent with him. It didn't ring once because he doesn't have to talk to you guys. He doesn't have to talk to agents. 
He doesn't have to talk to players. He doesn't have to talk to recruits. doesn't have to talk to players' families. Why is my son not playing more? What's my son's role? I think my son wants to transfer. He doesn't have to deal with any of that BS. He sits in the first row behind the, the Hawks bench, and it's all about just coaching basketball. And he's like, it's just, it's, it's so pure right now. He, and he, he talked about how his agent is going to start hearing names of schools that are going to be wanting to talk to him to be coming back to college next year and be a head coach. And he's like, I want nothing to do with that. That, that was, for me, that was a past lifetime. I'm beyond that. I'm in the NBA. I'm in a good place. He's making a ton of money for a guy that's a second row guy. So it was good to see him and good to know that he did make the right move because he wanted to go back to college. He wanted to take the South Florida job. And then he thought to himself, you know what? I'm going to take the South Florida job and I'm going to be freaking fired in two years, but I'm going to live in Florida. But he said that he finally realized that's not a good reason to take the job. So he's where he belongs right now. I don't know how long he's going to stay, but he's where he should be instead of the, the, the whole absolute rat race that is college basketball coaching right now. That's great to hear, man. Happy to hear that our guy Mike Bray is happy. And he actually had a chance to meet up with Micah this week. He posted the picture, the two of them. That's awesome to see. How would you describe their relationship? I don't know if they really have one. Like Mike, Mike, I know Mike Bray called Micah Shrewsbury the day before Micah was going to take the Notre Dame job and said, look, you need to take this job coming from me. You can win here. Here's how you can win. They hadn't talked since uh, the other night, uh, Monday night, uh, Micah Shrewsbury reached out to Mike Bray and said, we're going to be Atlanta in Atlanta. We're going to be at this hotel. Why don't you swing by, see some of the guys, see some of the guys on staff that you remember. And it was just a cool moment. Like my, Mike Bray's not going to walk in there and say, all right, I need, you need to do this, this, and this to fix your offensive woes. Just for him to be around and just be like, look, I was here. I was the guy. I did it here for 23 years. If you need anything, just give me a call. But I'm just like Mike Bray's like, I'm just rooting for you, man. Like I, I want you to succeed. I know I'm the winningest coach in Notre Dame men's basketball history. But I don't think Mike Bray would mind if Micah Shrewsbury stayed long enough to challenge that record. Tom, this has been great. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to come on, especially after the late night you had on (laughs) Tuesday covering a game that tipped off at 9, 10 p.m. Eastern. Let's do it again soon. You got it, brother. Keep in touch. Thanks again for making Lockdown Irish your first listen of the day. I will be back early next week to talk about the latest additions to Notre Dame via the transfer portal. The Irish added a couple of top guys this week to further strengthen the roster. Plus, I expect we'll know by then who's going to be the head coach at Alabama, so I'm sure we'll get into that, how it impacts Notre Dame, all of the implications there. On the way out, please subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the podcast if you have not already. And please follow the show on X at Lockdown Irish, on Instagram at Lockdown Irish Pod, and my personal X account at Tyler W O J C I A K. Have a great weekend. I'll see you next week.